Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Embrace. My name is Christina Osborne, and I'm one of our associate pastors here. And let me just welcome you if you are new with us or still finding your place in this community. We're so grateful that you've chosen to worship with the Embrace family this morning. And we're going to have some wonderful worship together and hear the word. And I just want to share a couple of announcements before we get started today. We do have an announcement sheet on the welcome tables when you come in or as you leave the door today. Feel free to grab that. That'll let you know all the good stuff that's going on around here. I do want to just quickly mention that our youth group is having an off-site pool party this Wednesday. So if you were not aware of that and you need more details, please let me know. They're also on the announcement sheet. And we send that, the announcements out via email. So if you want to be on our email list and you're not on our email list, an easy way to get on there is to fill out our Connect card. These are the blue cards in the pew in front of you. And you can share your information with us if you haven't before. You can also use the backside to tell us you're interested in all sorts of things, from meeting with a pastor to learning more about small groups. And then you can even give us a prayer request, too. And we have a prayer team who keeps these confidential, but definitely partners with you in prayer to lift these things up every week. So please, if you have something that you're kind of carrying this morning, we want you to know you don't have to carry it alone here in this family and in this place. So if you fill out a Connect card this morning, you can just turn it in in the offering boxes, which is also where you can give if you would like to do that this morning while you're here. There's a box at the back door and one over here to the side. You can also always give online at embraceyourcity.com give or email prayer requests to prayer at embraceyourcity.com. I think that is all I need to tell you for now. Oh, except we do have a special kind of setup in our cafe, which is the room that had the coffee and donuts when you came in. And so there will be the service streamed in the cafe. And that is a great space if you are overstimulated or you just need to step out for a minute or your family would just function better with a little bit of space. At any point, feel free to get up and head on in there. The service will be there and you can still participate. So without any further ado, I will hand it over to our worship team. All right. Good morning, everyone. My name is Laban. I'm the worship leader here at the church. I invite you to stand. Let's open our hearts and minds to what the Lord might have for us this morning. We just had a little bit of prayer time with the worship team before this. And, you know, a common theme was we have a lot of stressful stuff in our lives. And I wonder if a few people could relate with that out there. Um, the cool thing about this space and this time, I feel like each week is it's an invitation to leave some of that stuff um, at the door, not to forget about it, but to actually like carve out some, some time and some space to listen. We do a lot of talking in our lives and in our minds, and invite you to listen a little bit this morning, maybe something the Lord has for you. Let's join in this call to worship together. Oh Lord, let my soul rise up to meet you. As the day
every blessing tune my heart to sing thy grace streams of mercy never ceasing call for songs of loudest praise and teach me some melodious sonnet sung by flaming tongues above praise the mount i fixed upon it the mount of
let's join in this confession liturgy together. We know that nothing is able to separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Let us in freedom confess the wrong we have done. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ. We're going to turn into our gratitude and lament time now. So this is, you can turn to a neighbor and maybe share something about your life. Maybe it's something you're grateful for. Maybe it's a lament, something that's uh, just not quite right, something that's, uh, you know, been difficult this past week. But yeah, feel, uh, stretch yourself a little bit. Feel free to share something with a neighbor, and then we'll continue our worship time here in a few minutes.
All right, we'll take just a couple more moments here to wrap up the conversations. All right, I invite you to stand with us. Let's continue our worship time. This is Amazing Grace.
are holy. You are holy. You are mighty. You are mighty. You are worthy. You are worthy. Worthy of praise. Worthy of praise. And I will follow. that you hear for God in that song. Uh, a few years ago, I went in and tried to find as many names for Jesus as I could find in the New Testament, and there were a lot of them. And I think it just shows how, how big and how majestic and how wonderful and how rich uh, God really is. And 
And so we come together to worship this God and connect with this God, this God of the universe who actually wants to be our friend and wants to be close to us, not only loves us, but actually likes us as well and wants to be with us. And so I'm excited to be here to worship with you all. Y'all can have a seat. My name is John Gallagher, and I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I just want to welcome all of you here this morning. Um, every uh, Sunday, except the first Sunday of the month, we always have an opportunity for our children uh, to have their own time of learning in the Wonder Room. And so today, if you have a child who is five, four years old, all the way up through fifth grade in elementary school, then they are invited to uh, go to the Wonder Room for their own time of learning. Let's give our kids a hand as they come up and make their way over here to this door. If your child has never been to the Wonder Room, um, I ask that you, as the parent, walk up with them and make sure they have the right forms filled out and introduce yourself um, to the leaders. So not only do we need to give a hand to our kids, but also to our volunteers. Let's give another hand to our volunteers who make this possible each and every week. As they're moving out of here, I'm going to come down here. So I did want to mention this week again, like I did last week, if you were here, uh, we still have a need uh, for more volunteers in our Wonder Room. And this entails, uh, there's two basic positions we have for our, our Wonder Room volunteers. You can be a storyteller, which that involves like actually telling the story, and there's a whole script and everything. You don't come up with it yourself. Um, it's, it's not super complicated. Uh, lots of folks have been able to figure it out and have a lot of fun doing it. Um, and there's also the position of a doorkeeper as well, and the doorkeeper will um, be there as a support person um, in the, the Wonder Room. And so we have three different classrooms. A few weeks ago, we put out a call for nursery volunteers because we were in desperate need of some volunteers in the nursery uh, to help keep that sustainable, and many of you stepped up, so thank you so much for that. Um, that's very exciting. Um, but we also have a need for, for helping with our older um, kids as well that go to the Wonder Room. And so if you have any interest at all, uh, we really do need that support. Um, you may know this, but we opened a third classroom. We've had two uh, for so long, but we have so many kids, as you all can see this morning, um, who were heading up there. And so we needed a third classroom to help create, uh, make the space manageable. We're, we don't have the kind of children's ministry where we just pack in tons of kids and it's complete chaos for an hour. Um, the Wonder Room is actually really, um, it's, it's quite fascinating. I, I've never actually been in it because I'm always in here. But I hear that it's actually f fairly peaceful at times and the kids are actually engaged in the story and they're asking questions and they do art and they have conversation and about kind of the, the stories that we're talking about. And so it's a, a really rewarding and wonderful opportunity um, as far as, as I know from the volunteers who have been participating in it. We've had some volunteers who have been doing it for many, many years now, and some of them might need a break in this upcoming school year, and so we're really going to need some other folks to rotate in. And so if you have any interest or willingness at all, please let me know. Um, I will continue to remind you that Jesus uh, had a lot to say about children, and he was super welcoming and open to the children and Jesus told a lot of stories, and I imagine he told a lot of stories to children. So, you know, last week we talked about being formed and shaped to look like Jesus. And one way, it's not the only way, but one way you can look more like Jesus is getting involved with kids. Um, because I do believe Jesus 
would have been up there uh, in the Wonder Room. He'd be hanging out in the nursery some. He'd be working with our young people. And so um, if you have any interest or willingness, please, um, you can reach out to me or to Rachel or to Christina. Any of us would be fine um, to reach out to. There's an announcement in the announcement handout, and it went out through email as well with the proper information so that you can get in touch with us. Um, that's the only thing I wanted to highlight as far as announcements go. Um, we're going to enter into our time of prayer that we do each week. So I'm going to kneel at the altar. If anybody would like to join me at the altar, you're welcome to come forward and kneel. If you'd like to stay in your seat, that's totally fine as well. I'll give us a little bit of silence to begin just to kind of center ourselves, focus on our breath, and just be reminded of God's spirit that is moving throughout this space and even moving in us and through us this morning. And so when we're done praying, we'll uh, say the Lord's Prayer together. So if anybody would like to come forward and kneel at the altar, um, you're invited to come. Almighty God, creator of the universe, powerful and majestic friend, father, mother, the one who is with us on the mountaintop and the one who falls down beside us in the pit. We come this morning giving you praise, offering gratitude and thanksgiving for just how wonderful you are, for your incredible love that you pour out on us each and every day, that love that never fails. That love that transcends boundaries and dark situations and, and goes to every corner of this earth, Lord. And God, I just thank you that we can experience your love in so many different ways. And I pray, Lord, that this morning we could have eyes to see and ears to hear. That we'd be able to, to see you and 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 experience you in a fresh way this morning. Lord, we have come here this morning caring a lot. Um, we're, we're holding a lot in tension. We're holding uh, joys and gratitude, and we're also holding lots of pain and struggle. 
And God, we're feeling all this all at once, and it's really hard to, to manage sometimes. It's hard to walk and continue to follow you on the path that you're leading us down because, Lord, we just feel weary and tired. Lord, I pray that this morning we could experience that lightness and that refreshment and that peace that you offer us, that we could taste that living water, that we could eat from that bread of life, those things that never run dry and never spoil. Lord, help us to be reminded once again to press into you and and to be formed and shaped by you and not all these other powerful forces that are working around us at all times. I pray we could reorient ourselves today. Fix our eyes on you, Jesus. The one who brings life. Abundant life. Life to the fullest. The one who brings us peace. And joy. And wholeness. Pray we can meet you here in this time that we share together. Lord, I just pray a, a prayer over all in this room who are struggling and suffering. For dealing with health issues or maybe you're just feeling really low. Maybe feeling the, the pain and the loneliness of grief. Those who are having physical ailments that are just weighing them down people who are dealing with stressful situations and crises and financial problems. We all are carrying something. And God, I just pray a prayer over all of us this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you would meet us where we're at. You would speak an encouraging word to us and that you would help to empower us to continue marching forward. That we could continue to trust you even in the midst of uncertain times. And Lord, I also pray that we would be reminded of that we are your children and that you love us so much and that you want good things for us. Now we join together and pray this prayer that Jesus taught us, his disciples, to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. All right, so today marks week five of our series that we've been in, looking at the book of Romans. Um, we're trying to complete this series in seven weeks, which is, could be a little bit foolish to try to get through the entire book of Romans in seven weeks. I told you that my friend Justin Rohr is preaching through Romans 8, just one chapter, the entire summer, and we're trying to get through the whole book in seven weeks. So um, you can probably guess that you're not going to get into all the nitty-gritty details of this book, but my hope is I can help to illuminate some of the bigger picture stuff in Romans, and it'll help you to approach it with a little more confidence um, because I think like 
like you all probably have similar experiences to me that maybe you have some history with Romans and maybe you haven't fully understood it or maybe even had some issues with it. And so my hope is through this series that you'll come away just feeling a little more confident um, in approaching uh, this text. And if you'd like to talk more about it um, outside of Sunday morning, I would love to do that. So uh, send me an email or a text and I'd love to get together with you and talk about Romans at any time because I've really loved what I've been learning. I want to give you all a brief recap of where we've come. We started at the end. I told you all that we're taking Scott McKnight's advice, who wrote this wonderful book called Reading Romans Backwards, and we're starting at the end, and we're moving towards the beginning. And so I'll give you a brief recap of where we've come, so you'll kind of know and be reminded of what we've been up to. So the first week, we kind of looked at the historical context. We've talked about repeatedly over and over and over again that Romans is a letter. It is not some grand theological treatise that's meant to be um, applicable 100% to all times and places. It was written by an author to actual people. And so Paul wrote Romans to people who were living in Rome, to these house churches, these Christians who were living in the capital city of the empire. And there were probably at most about 200 Christians in Rome at the time. And so this is not a large group of people. There may have been between five to eight house churches where they would gather in homes and they would read scripture together, they would learn together, they would worship together, share food together. And, and so they were, had these house churches. They were very diverse house churches. Um, we had Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. You had wealthy people with power. You also had... Uh, people at the lowest end of the kind of social spectrum. You had slaves in the churches. You maybe had masters in the churches as well. You had people from different ethnic groups. It was a very diverse group of Christians in Rome. And because of that diversity, there were conflicts that arose. It's a lot easier to have church if everybody is the same, but that's not what Paul's mission was. Paul's mission was to establish diverse churches, these churches where walls were torn down, hierarchies were broken down, and everybody came together as siblings in Christ. In week two, we focused our, uh, our attention on chapter 16. If you have read Romans 16, you'll see there's like a lot of names. There's a lot of greetings that Paul gives at the end, and we focused in on some of those names, spending most of our time looking at a woman named Phoebe. And Phoebe from, uh, it, it seems pretty likely that Phoebe would have been the person who delivered the letter to the churches in Rome. She likely would have been the reader or performer of the letter to the house churches in Rome. And she was likely the first interpreter of Romans as well, because as she's reading it, there would likely be questions that people would ask. And we talked about how Paul really relied on this wide network of people. Um, to, to accomplish this mission that God had given him. And women, in particular, were leaders in the early church, and Phoebe is a wonderful example. In week three, uh, we talked about the weak and the strong, these two groups that Paul refers to throughout the letter, and he actually refers to the weak and strong in another letter he wrote to some other folks. Um, and we determined that we believe that Paul is referring to Jewish and Gentile Christians, these are the two groups he's referring to. The Jewish Christians would have been the weak, and the Gentile Christians, by and large, would have been the strong. And he really encourages them that they need to stop judging each other so much and accept each other despite the differences that they share with one another. And that felt very relevant to me and to some of you all as well in this moment in history where we couldn't be much more divided as a country, right? Right now, and Paul, I think, has a word for us as Christians that we got to be different. 
We've got to figure out how to work through differences and respect one another and cling to one another in spite of those differences. And so in week four, which was last week, uh, I taught you this word that Scott McKnight came up with called Christoformity. It's a made-up word. Christians like to make up words like this sometimes. Um, but it's a, it's a good one because what it essentially means is that we become formed and shaped to look like Jesus. Through the power of the Spirit working within us, we are formed and shaped to look more and more like Jesus. And ultimately, like chapter 12 really encapsulates what that looks like. And I, I would agree with Scott McKnight that this is really the goal of what Paul is up to in Romans, that he wants these Christians in Rome to be formed and shaped to look like Jesus. And so my hope for us as a church is that we continue to be formed and shaped to look like Jesus. So now that we've covered the last section of Romans 12 through 16, um, we're actually going to break the rule a little bit, and we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, to chapter 1. All right, so we did the last section, but now we're going to go back to chapter 1 and get through this first section of Romans. And so I'm going to read it for you. It's Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And I'm going to read 17 verses. It's a little bit long, but I want you all to hear this. This is kind of the whole introduction to Romans that, that Paul wrote. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how I constantly remember you in my prayers at all times. And I pray that now at last, by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am obligated or indebted both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Now, I'd like to focus our attention on verse 16 this morning. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. 
first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So that first line reads, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Now as I've reflected on this verse, I've had the thought, why is Paul saying to us that he's not ashamed of the gospel? My question then is, well, if Paul's not ashamed of the gospel, are there people who are ashamed of the gospel? And are there reasons that someone might be ashamed of the gospel? I don't think Paul would have specifically said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, unless there were actually folks out there who were, in fact, ashamed of the gospel. Or perhaps Paul knew that there was something about the gospel that was hard to accept or to embrace fully. And Paul perceived that that might be a problem. And he's boldly declaring, I'm not, in fact, ashamed of this gospel of Jesus. You know, I remember hearing this verse when I was in high school. And I remember being challenged by our youth leaders to uh, kind of stand up proudly for Jesus, you know. And, and so I was challenged to talk about Jesus openly at school, um, not be ashamed to kind of get out there and tell people about my faith and broadcast out to the secular world that I am a Christian and I'm not ashamed of it, right? I don't know if y'all have ever felt that pressure, you know, when you were growing up. Um, a few years before that, I remember there was a big craze of like people wearing Christian t-shirts. Um, I didn't really get into them too much. I think my brother had a couple of them, uh, but a lot of people wore Christian t-shirts and I, one in particular, and I believe my brother had this one, it's quite an embarrassing shirt if you ask me, but it had an image of Jesus, and I'll show you a photo, doing push-ups with a cross on his back. And Jesus is ripped, you know, he's just like, he's swole, he's pushing up with that cross, and it says the Lord's gym at the top, and then on the back, the back is kind of the worst, his pain, your gain, you know. Um, I found one recently that I actually like a little better, it says Jesus, the ultimate deadlifter, that one's great. I might actually wear that one. To not be ashamed of the gospel meant that you would loudly tell everybody that you were a Christian. And, and Christian music was like hitting the high point at that, that time. You know, Jesus, or DC Talk came out with that album, Jesus Freaks, you know. They're like, what will people say if they hear I'm a Jesus freak? I don't even care, you know, if they label me a Jesus freak. And, uh, and there's no disguise in the truth, they said. And wonderful song, and uh, iconic album, by the way. Laban, we got to do some Jesus Freak in church on a Sunday. Um, but it was this idea, and it was part of that Christian culture that, that, you know, through your music, through your T-shirts, through getting out there, at, see you at the poll rallies at school, and all these things, you would get out there, and you would tell everybody, through your evangelism, everything, I'm a Christian, and I'm not ashamed to talk about it. And the reality is, though, as I've thought about it, a lot of that didn't have a whole lot to do with the actual gospel. It was more about identity, right? It was about not being ashamed to be called a Christian and be part of that Christian crowd or that Christian group. You know, today we live in a, a different culture than we lived back in the 90s in many ways, and many people today are actually, in fact, ashamed to be identified as a Christian. Some of you maybe feel that inside. A lot of it is for good reason, I think, because Christians continue to do pretty horrendous and awful things, and a lot of that just continues to be brought more into the light, and a lot of the way we are just so connected to one another, a lot of that stuff is just so prevalent 
I've watched a lot of documentaries lately about Christians doing terrible things. Um, I don't know if y'all have seen some of the popular ones that are out there right now. Um, they're very fascinating. This is like what I grew up with. And so I listen to podcasts about this stuff. Um, it's all over the place. And, and a lot of these documentaries are exposing kind of that, that fakeness and that corruption that often runs in Christian circles. Sometimes I'm even reluctant to tell people I'm a pastor when they ask what I do. It's, it's sometimes the most weird interactions I have with people. And they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. They're like, oh. <laughs> you know, it's like sometimes it shuts down conversation and they just move on. Sometimes it invites conversation, uh, but sometimes I don't even like that, con- that awkwardness, you know, because I'm worried about that response I'm going to get. This is different, though, I think, to what Paul is talking about. This is more about being ashamed of being part of that Christian crowd, not so much about being ashamed of being a follower of Jesus. I think Paul was communicating he wasn't ashamed of being identified with Jesus, Paul might have actually felt some shame or felt be, be a bit of shame to being associated with some of the Christians in Rome who were fighting with each other and judging one another all the time. He makes it clear he didn't like that very much. But Paul is saying he wasn't ashamed of Jesus. This Jesus who turned the world upside down through his radical mission, through his death, through his resurrection, through the power of his spirit moving throughout this world. Paul understood that the gospel... He talks about it being the power of God. The Greek for power is a word dynamis. And dynamis reminds me of the word dynamite, right? That the gospel is the dynamite of God. That it has blown up our notions of what is right and wrong, what is honorable or shameful. And truly the gospel has turned the world upside down. People usually don't like when things are turned upside down. And there's something about the gospel that is hard and has been hard for people to accept and embrace. So I want to go back to the beginning of Christianity in Rome, these people Paul was writing to. Why would someone in Rome be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus? Well, I can think of a few reasons that that are possible that help us understand more of the context of what was happening. So I'm going to break a few of these down for us. And then we'll hopefully make some connections to ourselves today. From the beginning of the letter, Paul clearly argues that the gospel or the Christian faith, as we talk about it, it originated with the Jewish people. Now, Paul was likely writing to a predominantly Gentile audience. There were Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. But there were a lot of Gentile Christians in Rome. If you remember, the Jews were expelled from Rome at one point. And so Paul is writing to Gentiles, and he's telling them about this gospel that originated with the Jewish people. It is for everyone, but Paul is saying it was for the Jew first. Now, I imagine for some Romans, it would be hard to accept that the Jews actually received this first, and they were taking kind of second place in a way to the Jews. This might be hard for them to accept because the Jews, in many ways, in that early first century, they were viewed with suspicion. They were ridiculed. They were oppressed. They were often mocked. You may remember, like I said, that Emperor Claudius actually expelled the Jews from Rome at one point, and and he kicked them out of the city because they were so disliked. 
The Jews were also conquered many times over throughout their history, and they lived under the rule of the Roman Empire, who valued this military might and power. And so Paul, when Paul says the gospel was for the Jew first, this might not sit well with all the Romans, or maybe even other ethnic groups in Rome. They may prefer that the gospel came to them first, not to the Jewish people whom many of them despised. Right at the beginning of his letter, Paul also declares that Jesus is Lord. Now, you may have heard this before because it's received more attention in in the more recent years, but the word Lord was actually a politically charged term. Now, we read the Bible today, and we don't pick up on a lot of the political language that's in these letters, but there's a lot of it. Words like salvation and grace, and a lot of this were very politically charged terms in the Roman world, and Lord was one of the greatest. It was used for the emperor. To declare Jesus was Lord was a very subversive thing for Paul to do. The Romans were expected to worship the emperor and declare their complete allegiance to the emperor as Lord. And also worship the emperor's gods. For Paul, the gospel says that Jesus is Lord, which in fact means that Caesar is not Lord. And so imagine Romans who are living in the capital city of the empire. They grew up on all the stories of the Roman gods. They grew up with the shrines. They grew up hearing that the emperor was Lord and worshiping the emperor alongside their families. They may have a hard time accepting that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Another reason a Roman could be ashamed of the gospel, let's go a little bit further with our focus on Jesus. The gospel says that Jesus, the leader of this movement, The Lord, the Messiah, was executed by way of crucifixion, which was the most shameful and humiliating way to die. Jesus was literally shamed to the point of death on the cross. In Rome, the place of military might and power, Paul was arguing that we should give our allegiance to a poor Jewish man who was crucified. You can see how someone might be ashamed to follow this Jesus. Another reason, in the first verse of Romans, Paul introduces himself as a slave. This is a pretty radical thing for Paul to do, and it may have received mixed results for Paul to identify himself this way. I do wonder what a slave might think of Paul, a Roman citizen, taking on that identity. They may like it, and they may also feel like, what does he know what it's like to be a slave? This was very radical and very subversive that Paul would use this language. In the NIV, it's translated servant, but it also, in many places, is translated as slave. Paul was a Roman citizen, had this status and honor in the Roman Empire, yet chose to identify with those at the very bottom of the social hierarchy. I imagine some Christians who heard this letter might have been offended that the great Paul, one of the leaders of the early church, identified with the least. Paul goes on to say that he is in debt to Greeks and non-Greeks, to the wise and the foolish. We've talked about this society of honor and shame and debt, and, and, and you had patrons, and there was this society when everybody was kind of in debt to somebody, 
And Paul comes out and says, I am a slave of Christ and I am indebted to everyone. I mean, this would be a very radical thing for someone like Paul to say. One of the leaders of this movement dedicated to this gospel called himself a slave and said he was in debt to everybody. Does that sound like a leader that we want to follow? What is this gospel that would lead someone to take on that identity? These are just a few reasons why someone could be ashamed of the gospel in first century Rome. Yet Paul was not ashamed. Paul had the audacity to take the gospel of Jesus to the heart of the empire, the capital city of Rome. The place where they believed salvation for the world flowed. I mean, Rome was where it all happened. The peace of Rome would flow out to the world from the center of the empire. And Paul said, no, this is where I want to take the gospel of Jesus that turns all this upside down. Paul said that he desired to go to Rome in the letter, and Paul eventually did make it to Rome, but not on his own volition. He was actually arrested and detained and was taken to Rome to face trial. He ended up there because of that unwavering commitment to the gospel. And it got him arrested. And he faced this because of this commitment. He was not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus. You know, we're talking a lot about shame and honor. And this is what they were talking about back in first century, uh, the ancient Near East. You know, all societies, though, have categories of honor and shame. In America, we have certain kind of individuals or certain types of people and achievements and ways of existing in this world that we say are honorable or right or good or worthy. When I was in college, I've talked about my experience in college quite a bit because I went to a Christian school, and going to a Christian school is always interesting. You know, it's just a a wild time. And my school in particular uh, was very interesting. Um, At my Christian school, I attended a few commencement ceremonies and, you know, graduations. And I started paying attention to who was invited to speak at our commencement ceremonies. And what I noticed is that almost every speaker that was ever invited to speak, they all shared very similar characteristics. They were all extremely wealthy. I'm talking extremely wealthy. We had like the owner of the Orlando Magic come and speak at our commencement. You know, the only qualifying thing he had was he, he had a lot of money, basically. They were all extremely wealthy. They were all American. They were all male, and they were all white. If you look around the school, almost all the buildings in our university, they had names on them, right? Because that's how you get those paid for. You find people who like to stamp their names on things. They give money. They put it on there, and then you get to build your building. Almost all the buildings were named after people that shared those exact same characteristics. Now, I started to imagine, if you think about someone planning a commencement ceremony, what if the planner who was in charge of choosing the speaker went rogue? And they're like, this year I'm going to pick somebody different to speak. And maybe they invited an unhoused person to come and speak at the commencement. Imagine this man showed up wearing worn out clothes, an unshaved face, haven't showered for days, but had a deep faith and lots of good things to share. I'm sure the board of trustees at the school would have been deeply ashamed by the commencement speaker and the way it made their school look. Because honor is given based on appearance and financial success and power, and shame is given to those who don't fit the mold. As I've thought more about it, 
I don't think Paul would ever have been invited to be in a, speak at a commencement ceremony at my school because he wasn't successful by any of those metrics. He had no money. He was living off of the generosity of other people. He also, he did make some money by making tents. He worked with his hands. He was a Jewish man who was living in a Roman world. He wouldn't have been invited. And here's the, the kicker, and this is the deeper part of this. I don't think Jesus would be invited <laughs> to be a speaker at my college either. Jesus was a man who was unhoused. He lived off the generosity of others and the hospitality of others. He was poor. Scripture says that he was unattractive. I'm not sure that Jesus would be given a whole lot of honor, honestly, if he attended our churches in America today. I think he might be viewed with suspicion and disdain and could even be perceived as a threat when he walked through the doors. You know, throughout history, Christians have been ashamed of the gospel. So much so that we have often altered the gospel in the scriptures and Jesus to fit our sensibilities of what is honorable or what is worthy. You know, it's a shameful thing in our society to let your enemies hurt you and, and not to pay them back with retribution and revenge. And so let's just ignore Jesus' teaching on love for our enemies and nonviolence. It's a shameful thing to reconcile with others and to forgive. So let's ignore the fact that Jesus called disciples who were at odds with each other and asked them to forgive one another. It's a shameful thing to associate with the outcasted, with those who are different than us. And so let's just ignore how Jesus repeatedly went to the margins and called those pushed there to the center of his love. It's shameful to, to just joyfully and carelessly almost to give your money away to others. And so let's turn Jesus into a capitalist who advocates for endless pursuit of wealth and power. It's shameful for a man to submit to a woman's leadership, so let's look past all the women who were leaders of the Jesus movement. It is shameful for a man to be weak and vulnerable and submissive, so let's turn Jesus into a manly man who drinks beer and watches football and gets in fights and is wild at heart. We could go on and on, pointing out the ways Christians have been ashamed of the gospel and therefore twisted and turned it to make it something that really just promotes the status quo and doesn't upset our sensibilities about what is right and what is honorable. Remember, the gospel is dynamous. It is the dynamite of God that blows up our notions of honor and shame. And you know, all this stuff's challenging, but, but really it's for the better. Our, the way we've structured our society isn't working for us, is it? <laughs> The way we live our lives isn't really working. We, we're at odds with one another. We're not, our churches are all dividing. People are, are leaving and forming their own things, and we can't get along, and, and we're feeling isolated and lonely, and we're seeing so much hardship all around us in pain. I believe the gospel, ultimately, if we're willing to fully embrace it and embody the gospel in the way we live in community together, then I believe we can experience more peace and more wholeness and more goodness. The Spirit desires to move through us, shaping us, informing us into the likeness of Jesus. And what that does is we begin to embody the gospel more and more. We don't just believe in the gospel. You have to believe in it first. That's important, right? But we also need to embody the gospel in the way that we exist in this world. 
sowing seeds of peace and goodness in our world. And I believe if the Spirit's working through us in that way, as we embody the gospel, then we can begin to reverse some of these destructive cycles that perpetuate a kingdom that doesn't value the things that God values. You know, like Paul, I'm trying my best to not allow the empire. When I say the empire, we're talking about this massive... America is an empire. It reaches all over the world, right? It reaches everywhere, influencing and shaping the way we live in this world. And the empire, I don't want the empire to define for me what is honorable or shameful, what is worthy or despised. On my better days, I am not ashamed of the gospel, though it is hard. Sometimes, sometimes I, I make decisions where I try to follow the way of Jesus, and I encounter problems. Has that ever happened for you? I know my brother Benjamin will be talking to me about that for a while. We follow Jesus, we can have problems, right? They come our way sometimes. Sometimes people I love have actually rejected me because of intentional decisions I've made to follow the path of Jesus. And sometimes I don't want to even bother, and I just don't want to even try because it's hard. Yet I'm trying to hold on to hope that the way of Jesus will lead to something beautiful and something good. And it's hard to see right now, right? Because we're in the midst of a hard moment. We're in the midst of a hard moment as a society, um, even in our local church here at Embrace, we're in the midst of just a hard, heavy season, talking about hard things and difficult things, and, and it's not easy. And I'm trying to hold on to hope that it's going to lead to something beautiful and something good. And I don't always see it, but I know I have seen it. I have seen that goodness and that beauty of what the gospel can bring to us when we try and seek to embody it in the way we live our lives and open up space for the Spirit to mold us and shape us into the likeness of Jesus. You know, when much of Christianity continues to seek power and control and supremacy over others, Paul encourages us to cling to Jesus and the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation for all. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We're going to share communion together, and I'll invite the worship team to come on up. We share communion each week at Embrace because, I mean, for one, you know, Jesus, I believe he told his followers, you know, every time you come together, do this and remember me. And so we're trying to follow Jesus' instruction there. But also, you know, like we talked about last week, if we're going to be formed and shaped into the likeness of Jesus, if we're going to embody this gospel that is actually earth-changing, I mean, earth-altering, you know, when the power of God is let loose in our world, it really does upset things in this world. It turns things upside down. If we're going to embrace this dynamis of God, this dynamite power of God to blow up our conventions of what is right and good and worthy, then we're going to have to stay committed and we're going to have to stay connected to Jesus and Jesus' presence and work in our lives. And so communion is a way that we are nourished. It's one of the parts of communion is that we are nourished each week through taking in Jesus through this bread and through this juice. And so my hope for you this morning is that you feel that nourishment. Jesus said in, in the Gospels that he said, I am the living water. He said, if you drink from me, uh, you'll never go thirsty again. In the Gospels, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. <laughs> if, you, 
if you eat this bread, this bread never will, will spoil. It'll never rot. It'll never decay. And, and it'll sustain you and nourish you for eternity. And so when we share communion, I often think of the bread of life and that living water and that we're, we're really just feeding on Jesus. We're feeding on that, that spiritual presence that Jesus has in our lives through the Spirit of God living and working through us. And so my hope this morning is when you come forward, you can receive that nourishment, that nourishment to continue um, moving on, moving forward, you know, because it's hard. It's hard to continue to move forward. But know that Jesus is here and he is here to sustain us for this uh, journey of life that we're all on. If y'all bow your heads with me just for a moment. God, thank you so much for your presence here with us today. God, I sense that that your spirit is, is here, moving in us. And we thank you that through music, through the, through the notes and the chords and the rhythms that, and the voices that we can be connected to to something spiritual and wonderful as we sing and and play music together. Thank you that we felt your spirit there. Through our conversations with one another, we have seen your spirit in each other. Through the smiles and the hugs and perhaps even the tears, we've seen your spirit and felt it. Through our prayers, through our preaching, and now through sharing the Lord's Supper together. God, we pray that you will pour out your Holy Spirit upon this bread and juice. And whatever folks have set aside at home for this purpose, that this would be for us the body and blood of Christ. We pray you would fill us up and nourish us in a fresh way and that we would leave here changed, looking more like Jesus. God, we repent this morning of our sin, Lord. We confess to you that we that we have bought into the, we've bought in so much, Lord, to the way of the world, the way of things around us, the, that we have allowed just free reign for, for powerful forces to mold and shape us into people we don't want to be and people you certainly don't want us to be. And God, we, we repent of that. We repent, Lord, that we've not seen one another with your eyes. That, God, we've called... We've called things shameful that are honorable. We've called all these things, Lord. We've, we've twisted, Lord. And we've not been able to, to truly see, God, the way that you are at work here among us. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for, for that. Not, not only that, empower us, Lord. That, that empower us to borrow your eyes and borrow your hands. Borrow your ears and, and all of it, Lord, that, that we would truly be able to see and to to be in this world in the way that you want us to, Lord. Empower us this morning and nourish us for this journey that we're on. We pray we would leave here feeling more emboldened and more ready to continue to seek after you. Lord, we love you so much and thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said together, amen. I'm going to invite those who are helping me serve communion to come on up to the front. Might need a couple more volunteers. We've got them. We've got them. Never mind. They're coming forward. (laughs) Here at Embrace, we take communion by you'll just form two lines down the center aisle. When you come forward, 
have your hands open uh, to receive the bread. Your server will rip off a piece of bread for you. They'll dip it in the cup for you as well, and then they'll hand it to you. We do have Kleenex available if you need that. The altar is open for you as well if you'd like to pray. If you'd like me to pray with you, I would be uh, honored to do that. I'll just be over here on this side. Just come find me, um, and I'll be happy to lift you up in prayer. And finally, we do have a gluten-free option if you need that. We also have prepackaged elements in the back if you'd prefer to go back there. Um, you can take it back there with those if you need to. But um, all are invited to come. If you want to know Jesus more, then you're invited to share this with us. And so uh, come as you feel led.
Well, my prayer for this morning is that we could have the faith and the courage to trust that God will lead us step by step, because that actually takes a lot of courage and, and faith to know that, because like, I'd like to know what's at the end of the road. I'd like to know all the steps, you know, but just to trust that God's going to be with us for that next step, it takes a lot uh, of courage and, and trust and faith, and, and so I'm just, my prayer for all of us is that that faith will increase, that we could trust that God's going to guide each step of the way even though the future may seem uncertain. And we're all carrying a lot. I know some of you are carrying just unspeakable things right now, just really hard stuff. And, and my hope is that you'll feel God walking with you uh, this week as you seek to continue on that journey ahead. So if y'all prepare your hearts for the benediction, may the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forever. Amen. Go in God's peace. We'll see you next time.